Well, good morning. My name is Joel, and I'm the pastoral resident here at Grace, and I'm excited and honored to be able to open the scriptures with you this morning. Uh, I'd invite you to turn in your Bibles, if you have them with you, to Psalm 97. Uh, that's where we're going to be spending majority of our time this morning as we continue our series of looking at different genres of the Psalms. As you're turning there, I want to begin by asking you a question for reflection. I want you to answer this question to yourself. Right now, what is the most pressing fear or worry in your life? At this present moment, what is your most pressing fear or worry? With just a quick glance at the world around us, we could probably list off right away dozens of reasons to be overwhelmed. We're all well aware that there's a virus that's continuing to spread, and so many of us might be afraid of getting sick or of a friend or family member getting sick. Or because of the virus, your job or your business might just be hanging on the edge of the cliff, just waiting to be pushed over by another surge. You may be feeling concerned about actions taken by the government. Or if you just look at our political climate right now, it's full of division and hatred and uncertainty about the future. You might be afraid right now of having to go back to school soon or having to send a kid back to school with all of the uncertainty that surrounds that. Perhaps you're struggling to make ends meet right now and you're dreading an unexpected expense or you might have a relationship that's on the verge of blowing up or you might just be anxious thinking about the future, having no idea what's coming. And I could go on, but I think the point's clear that the ground around us feels like it's shaking and our circumstances give us countless reasons to be afraid or frustrated. But this kind of uncertainty and this kind of fear isn't new to us today in 2020. If you look through the Old Testament, uh, you see that the nation of Israel was a people well acquainted with challenging and frustrating circumstances. I mean, they experienced enslavement. They experienced constant attacks and sometimes defeats from surrounding enemies. They went through long and deadly droughts. They had political division and turmoil and uprisings, and eventually they were exiled out of their land. Much like us today, they had every reason to live in fear or frustration because of their circumstances. But it's for that very reason that Israel's hymn book, the Psalms, included a genre referred to as enthronement psalms. Enthronement psalms are songs that focus explicitly on divine kingship, on the reality that God is on the throne, that God is in control of the entire cosmos. Enthronement psalms help to give... Uh, Israel perspective on life. It helped to elevate their perspective beyond their present circumstances to get a glimpse of the God who is on the throne and in control. These psalms are intended to fuel the worship of God's people as they remember and reflect on the unchanging truth that God reigns. The psalm we'll be looking at today, Psalm 97, is one of these enthronement psalms. And just as Israel needed to be reminded that God is always on the throne, I think that this same truth is a much-needed calibration for our fearful and frustrated hearts today. So would you please stand with me uh, as I read Psalm 97? I'll be reading from the English Standard Version. The Lord reigns. Let the earth rejoice. Let the many coastlands be glad. Clouds and thick darkness are all around him. Righteousness and justice are the foundation of his throne. Fire goes before him and burns up his adversaries all around. 
His lightnings light up the world. The earth sees and trembles. The mountains melt like wax before the Lord, before the Lord of all the earth. The heavens proclaim his righteousness and all the people see his glory. All worshipers of images are put to shame who make their boast in worthless idols. Worship him, all you gods. Zion hears and is glad and the daughters of Judah rejoice because of your judgments, O Lord. For you, O Lord, are the most high over all the earth. You are exalted far above all gods. O you who love the Lord, hate evil. He preserves the lives of his saints. He delivers them from the hand of the wicked. Light is sown for the righteous and joy for the upright in heart. Rejoice in the Lord, O you righteous, and give thanks to his holy name. Thanks for honoring God's word by standing this morning. You can be seated. Now, we don't know exactly who the author of this psalm is, but he begins with this simple and yet crucial and foundational statement. The Lord reigns. He's in control. And as the psalmist states in verses 1 and 5, he reigns not just over one small group in one part of the world, but he reigns over the entire earth, meaning that there's not a single molecule in the universe that is not in his control. And this is a statement of fact for all of time. God hasn't stepped off his throne to take a break in 2020. We're not waiting for him to be king in the future. The Lord reigns. Do you know where the Lord was when the earth was created? He was on the throne. Do you know where the Lord was when this psalm was written? He was on the throne. Do you know where the Lord was when we just read this psalm a few seconds ago? He was on the throne. Do you know where the Lord will be if your fear that you just thought of a few moments ago is actually realized? He'll be on the throne. No matter what the circumstances around us or the feelings within us, the Lord reigns. And that reality produces joy and it fuels worship throughout the world. The expected response to the truth that God is in control is rejoicing. The psalm in verse 1 uh, begins with the declaration that all of creation rejoices and it ends in verse 12 with the command that we rejoice. Friends, I know that life seems unpredictable and difficult and discouraging, but since God is in control, we can live with joy. Since God is in control, we can live with joy. And by live with joy, I'm not just talking about walking around in a constant state of giddiness. And I'm not talking about you know, just positive thinking to make ourselves feel happy. There definitely, there is an emotional element to joy. We see that uh, in verse one where it's paralleled with being glad. But it's more than emotional because emotions, I mean, let's be honest, they come and go quicker than Cleveland Browns quarterbacks. But joy in God is a deep-seated satisfaction and contentment that's rooted in God's character, which wells up into gladness and rejoicing. Since God is in control, we can live with joy. Now, some of you may be thinking to yourself right now, you know, Joel, that, that sounds really nice, you know, living with joy, but you don't know my life. You don't know how difficult things are for me right now. There is no way that I could have joy right now. Or maybe it's not just because of your present circumstances, but maybe you've just had a life that's been so filled with heartache and pain and, lo and loss that it just doesn't seem fathomable to you that there is a king who's in control. And even if there is, he doesn't really seem like a good king that's worth rejoicing. Or maybe you're actually thinking, you know what? 
my life's actually pretty good right now without really acknowledging that God's king or without giving him control, so this doesn't really seem like it's for me. But if you're, if you're feeling or thinking any of that right now, please don't tune me out. Because as we move through this psalm and reflect on what God is like as our king, I hope to make it clear why God's control is a source for, or the wellspring, the, the source of all of our joy and rejoicing in life. Starting in verse 2, uh, immediately after proclaiming that the Lord reigns and that all the earth rejoices in this truth, the psalm lifts our eyes above our present circumstances to get a glimpse of the king in heaven. The psalmist peels back the curtains of heaven to, to fix our eyes on the throne. And what we see is a majestic king who is perfect and powerful in all of his ways. And so we can rejoice that God is in control because he is perfect in character and mighty in power. He's perfect in character, and he is mighty in power. We're a people who are constantly dissatisfied with our earthly rulers. I mean, America exists because we rejected a king who abused his powers. We want rulers who will live and lead with moral purity. We want rulers who will treat people with equity and enact justice, helping the oppressed and applying the law fairly. We want rulers who will suppress wickedness and evil and yet it seems like every human leader we ever have falls short in some sense, disappoints us in some way. What they fall short of, though, isn't just our expectations. They fall short of the perfect standard of the true king that all of our hearts long for. And as we see in this psalm, that's God himself. And that's what this psalm celebrates. God's rule, his throne, as we see here, is founded upon righteousness and justice. Righteousness being his absolute moral perfection. You know, sometimes when we're voting, especially as of late, we're told that we have to choose between the lesser of two evils. That's not necessarily an ideal spot to be in. But with God, there's not an ounce of sin or evil in him. This is one aspect of what we refer to as God being holy, that he's set apart from us, unlike us in his moral perfection. His majestic presence, as we see, is cloaked in clouds and thick darkness because we, we can't even approach him in our unworthiness because he's so set apart from us and so perfect. There's fire around him that burns up everything opposed to him that we see in verse 3. Now there's a few other times throughout the Bible where uh, we get a glimpse of God's throne and almost every time there are angels surrounding God's throne and their eyes are covered because they can't look at the Lord and they're crying out, holy, holy, holy. This majestic king who has been on the throne from the beginning of time has been holy throughout all of that time, set apart, perfect in his character. We don't have to worry about any political scandals with God because he is perfect in his character. He is righteous. We also don't have to worry about any abuse of, of power with God because he rules with perfect justice, meaning the right application of his righteousness. He rules with perfect equity, never showing partiality and never letting evil off the hook. But if we're honest, when we look at the world around us, this doesn't really seem to be our reality. When we watch the news or scroll through social media, it seems more like evil and injustice reign. But friends, we can take comfort in the assurance that the evil and injustice we see all around us are not the norm. They're not a reflection of God's character. Injustice is merely a temporary distortion of God's perfect world. And in his wisdom and providence that we can't fully understand or wrap our minds around, he's somehow working all things towards an end in which he will enact perfect justice and make all things 
new. And we want that right now. We want that to come right now. But in Second Peter, uh, Peter reminds us to be patient and to trust in God's perfect timing to bring justice. In 2 Peter 3, he writes, But do not overlook this fact, beloved, that with the Lord one day is as a thousand years, and a thousand years is as one day. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief, and then the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved, and the earth and all the works that are done in it will be exposed. Since all these things are thus to be dissolved, what sort of people ought you to be in lives of holiness and godliness, waiting for and hastening the coming of the day of God? Because of which the heavens will be set on fire and dissolved, and the heavenly bodies will melt as they burn. But according to his promise, we are waiting for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. And Revelation 21 says that when all of this takes place, there will be no more death. There'll be no more mourning or crying or pain. And we could add, there'll be no more wickedness or injustice, no more corruption or moral failure or oppression. And oh, how our hearts long for that day right now. But friends, that's not just something that we have to wait to be joyful for in the future. That reality is calls for rejoicing now because the God who is going to accomplish those promises is the God who is sitting on the throne right now, working all things out towards that end. Even if we can't see it, even if we don't understand how, that God who's given these promises is on the throne reigning right this second. And if there's any shred of doubt that God's able to fulfill that promise, uh, the psalmist calls us to just take a look at God's power that's revealed in creation. If you've ever sat and watched a, a thunderstorm roll in with its dark clouds and, and lightning tearing across the sky and booming thunder that you can feel in your chest, or if you've ever stood at the base of a mountain thousands of feet tall, those things make you feel small and humbled by their immense power and beauty. But Psalm 97 tells us that God is in control over every bolt of lightning that's sent across the sky and over every crack of thunder. And he holds such power that every mountain in the world that he's created, he could melt in an instant like wax. It's important that we recognize God is perfect in both his character, being righteous and just, and perfect in his power. Because if God's perfect in his character, but he's not all-powerful, then those great promises that we just looked at a moment ago are no more likely to happen than a summer without road construction. But on the flip side, if God had all power, the power to judge evil, to make the earth shake and to melt mountains, but if he was unrighteous, not only would we have no hope, but you better run for the hills and hide. But an all good God with all power is both a soft pillow for us to lay our heads down on at night, knowing that he has got this. And it's the wellspring of true joy, knowing that he is for us, that he's good and powerful. And friends, how could this not be cause for great rejoicing? That the God of perfect character is in complete power and he's in control. And since God is in control, we can live with joy. After taking a look at God's throne and his creation, the psalm shifts to look at the nature of idols that people worship in place of God. 
the psalm, as the psalm makes this shift, it gives us yet another reason to rejoice that God's in control. Because in verses 7 through 9 of Psalm 97, we're confronted with the futility of idols, with the reality that giving control of our lives to anything or anyone other than God will ultimately lead to shame. Therefore, we rejoice that God is in control because he alone can satisfy. We rejoice that God's in control because he alone can satisfy. At the time when this psalm was written, one of the most pressing problems in the nation of Israel and in the world around them was the worship of idols. Nations would create statues that they claimed their supposed deity inhabited. And these statues or idols then were what they bowed down to and worshiped. And so when the psalmist refers to gods, as we see in verses 7 and 9, he's, he's not saying that there really is more than one god in the world. He's referring to these man-made deities that people fashioned themselves and then worshipped. And today in our lives, in our society, we don't necessarily make carved idols and bow down to them. But the essence of idolatry is still very much alive and active, even in our lives. It's not just a, a problem out there in the world around us, but it infects each of our lives yours and mine. You see, each one of us is guilty of idolatry any time that we try to find our meaning or security or satisfaction in anything or anyone other than the God who reigns. And this can take all kinds of forms. I mean, we search for meaning and, and satisfaction in things like money, in careers, in relationships, in families, in comfortability, in recreation, in personal freedom, in how we look, just to name a few, I could keep going on. We could make an idol out of almost anything in our lives. I mean, just this past week, as I was preparing this sermon, I was confronted with the temptation to make an idol out of my own reputation. All week, I had to resist the inclination to find my meaning and my joy in what people would think about me as I preached this morning. There were times that I found myself way more concerned with saying something that sounded clever or mind-blowing than in simply unpacking the text to show the beauty of God and make him look good. And how crazy is that? How ridiculous is that, that I allowed idolatry to creep even to the process of preparing a sermon? But that just goes to show how, how subtle and natural the sin of idolatry is in our hearts. And it's not that we can't enjoy good things. The problem with idolatry is that we take good things and make them ultimate things. The reason that idolatry is so offensive to God is that the moment that you look to something as your source of meaning and satisfaction, you've given that thing control over your life. It's a control that rightly belongs to God. That idol will determine your actions. It'll determine your attitudes, your desires, your thoughts, your decisions. In other words, simply put, you will worship it. Because if something is your source of meaning, then you'll steer everything in your life, everything you do in order to attain that idol. And the danger of worshiping anything other than God is that it will never satisfy you in the end. It'll never give you the joy or the meaning that you're seeking from it. It will only demand more and more from you. One pastor in our sermon prep meeting this past week referred to idolatry as like climbing a ladder to nowhere. Our idols threaten to withhold joy if we don't serve them but then they demand that we keep climbing this ladder higher and higher and never actually give us the joy that we're seeking after. Make money or possessions your idol and you will never have enough. Make your reputation an idol and you will never feel like you're good enough. Make absolute freedom your idol and you will always feel attacked and oppressed. 
Make love or relationships your idol and you will always feel unwanted. Make your appearance an idol and you will always feel ugly. Make comfort or security an idol and you will always live in constant fear of the future. Worship anything or anyone other than God and it will crush you. That's why the psalmist here states that those who worship idols will ultimately be ashamed because it's foolish to think that anyone or other, anything other than God, the God who created you and the God who sits enthroned over the universe can give you true satisfaction and joy. Let me ask you, did your career create the world? Is your bank account sitting enthroned over the heavens, holding all things together? Is your reputation presently holding together every molecule of the universe? So why do we give these things so much control over our lives? What we ultimately need is not an idol that will fail us and crush us, always demanding more without the power to ever actually satisfy. What we need is a king with the power to build us up and cherish us. And that's exactly what we find as we move into the last part of this psalm, where we see that we rejoice that God is in control because he saves and protects his people. We rejoice that God is in control because he saves and protects his people. If we're being honest about this psalm so far, the picture has actually been somewhat grim. I mean, the imagery of God is spectacular and majestic, don't get me wrong, but for everything and everyone else, it hasn't been all sunshine and rainbows. Because of God's power and perfection, we've seen that his enemies are consumed by the fire of judgment. Mountains are melted, false gods and idols are judged, and their worshipers are put to shame. If you ask my opinion, I personally wouldn't choose any of those options for myself. But thankfully, those aren't our only options. Because the final few verses here in the psalm gladden our hearts with amazing promises. We read that God preserves, that he delivers, that he sows light and joy and gives cause for great rejoicing. And that's good news, right? But here's our dilemma. Look at, the, look at who these promises are for. They're for the saints. They're for the righteous, for the upright in heart. Rejoice, O you righteous. And if you remember, as we talked about earlier, the standard, standard of true righteousness is God himself, that he's completely perfect in his character, absolutely morally pure. Do you measure up to that? I know that I don't personally. In fact, no one does. In, in Romans 3, the Apostle Paul says, no one is righteous. No, not one. So what now? We've seen that the future for the unrighteous isn't very bright. I mean, it's full of fire, as we saw, but it's not a good kind of bright. And if God's standard is perfect righteousness and the joy that he offers is for the righteous, then are we just out of luck? Come to think about it, wouldn't, wouldn't that just make God kind of like all the other idols we just looked at? That God offers deliverance and joy, but his standard is perfect righteousness that we can never attain no matter how hard we try. So is he just leaving us to, uh, to the same fate as these idols, climbing a ladder to nowhere that we'll never reach the top of? No. The good news of the Bible is that the God of the universe, this majestic king that we've seen, doesn't stand distantly on his throne. 
He doesn't stand aloof watching us try and fail to meet his standards. No, instead of crushing us under the never-ending burden of climbing up the ladder, he came down to meet the standard for us. Jesus, the perfect son of God, who from eternity past enjoyed the praises of angels in heaven, enjoyed angels singing to him, holy, holy, holy. Jesus left those praises and entered our world for the purpose of standing in our place to accomplish our salvation. Even though he was perfectly righteous, even though he was deserving of these great promises spoken of in Psalm 97, he was willingly put to death on a cross in our place so that God's justice, as we talked about earlier, so his justice towards our sin would be paid for, so that our failures could be taken away from us. And so if we trust in Jesus as our Savior and Lord, his perfection, his righteousness that we need is actually given to us. Paul says in 2 Corinthians, for our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin. In other words, our failures were placed upon Jesus on the cross. But it gets better. So that in him we might become the righteousness of God. In other words, that perfect righteousness that is the foundation of God's throne is actually credited to us. We receive a righteousness that is not our own because Jesus met the standard for us. And we have confidence that this is true because his tomb is empty. Being the righteous king over the world, death had no claim on Jesus' life. Our king, our good and majestic king lives, and he offers us his righteousness. That means that by faith in Jesus, we're included in the righteous ones talked about in Psalm 97. Which means that if we've trusted in Jesus as our Savior and Lord, we not only experience the joy of deliverance from sins, but we receive God's promise of protection. We see he keeps us, he protects us from wickedness, he preserves us. No matter what happens in life, no matter how difficult our circumstances are, no matter how uncertain or confusing the future is, we belong to the God that is in control. And the joy that is in him that is ours now because we've placed our faith in Christ cannot be taken away from us. Paul said that in all things, we are more than conquerors through him, Jesus, who loved us. For I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation. We can say nor pandemic, nor political unrest, no, ma no matter what happens in life. Nothing will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. Friends, the Lord reigns. He is in complete control. And every act of his providence throughout all of history has been for the purpose of saving and redeeming and preserving a people for himself. And so the safest place that you can be is in the hands of God, the King, through faith in Jesus. God is in control. So we can live with joy. So as we're looking at these last few verses of this psalm, I want to provide the opportunity for you to reflect on where your heart is at this morning in regards to your trust in God's control. Because it's one thing for us to say, the Lord reigns. It's one thing for us to profess with our mouth, God is king. But it's another thing for that reality to actually change our hearts and to change the way that we live. And so I have a few diagnostic questions for all of us to reflect on towards the end this morning. The first question is foundational for all of the others. First, 
Who is Lord of your life? The king who died and rose for you? Or idols that cannot save? Who is Lord of your life? The king that died and rose for you? Or idols that cannot save? Hopefully by this point you've seen that anything or anyone, as we mentioned, other than God that you worship will ultimately crush you. In the end, it will not satisfy you and it will only leave you ashamed. But from the God who created you and calls you to worship him, there is unending joy. And the offer to experience that joy by being made righteous in Jesus is made to everyone. If you haven't trusted in Jesus as your Savior and Lord, that offer of Jesus' righteousness is for you today. He is holding that out for you to be made righteous and to experience God's joy in him. And there's no standard that you have to meet in order to receive Jesus' righteousness. There's no test that you have to make. There's no ladder that you have to climb up. All you have to do is, is trust in Jesus as your Lord. Place your faith in him. And he says your sins are forgiven and his righteousness is yours. And you can experience the joy of knowing this God that's in control. In Romans 10, Paul says, If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. For the scripture says, everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. If that's something that you want to do or you've been thinking about, please talk to a friend or family member who can help you process through that and surrender your lives to the king who died and rose for you. Place your faith in Jesus this morning and these promises will be true for you for eternity. You can experience his joy for all of eternity. Now the second question, uh, even if you have already placed your faith in Jesus, it can, it can be easy to get distracted by our circumstances or the world around us. And so I'll ask you this morning, what has angered you more lately? Inconveniences in your life or injustices around you? If justice is the foundation of God's throne, then we as God's people should long for justice and we should hate injustice and evil anywhere we see it. That's why the psalmist says very simply and clearly in verse 10 that if you love God, you will hate evil. And you'll hate it in every way that it shows up in, in your own life, in your thoughts and desires. You'll hate evil as it shows up in relationships, and you'll hate it in the world around you, wherever you see it. Because we can't just be as we were if we're to worship God as he is. Worshiping the true God who's perfect in character and power, it transforms us. And as we trust in him, as we walk with him, we should increasingly love what he loves and hate what he hates. Oh, you who love the Lord, hate evil. So what's angered you more lately? Inconveniences in your life? or injustices around you? The third question, what have you consumed more of lately? The noise of the world or the light of God's word? Have you consumed more of the noise of the world lately or of the light of God's word? If you look at verse 11, we're told that light is sown for the righteous. In other words, God doesn't leave his people on their own to walk through life in the dark. Instead, in his word, he leads us and guides us in a way that is best for us and is actually most consistent with who we were created to be. In a time where 
the world around us seems confused on what's right and wrong, in a time where it's increasingly difficult to know how to engage with the culture and live our, our lives faithfully to God, we need less news consumption and more Bible meditation. We need less scrolling through social media and more deep intentional reflection on the scriptures. And I don't say that to try to sound legalistic or separatist, but the God who created you in wisdom and power and the God who saved you in wisdom and power is the God who knows what is best for you. And so it makes sense that if God is in control, peace and joy would come from walking in his revealed will. So I ask you, what have you consumed more of lately, the noise of the world or the light of God's word? And finally, what has marked your speech lately, complaining or celebrating? Have you done more complaining about your circumstances or rejoicing in the king who died and rose for you? One of those is a clear sign that you aren't actually trusting that God is in control. The other is the natural and expected result of a true worshiper of God. You see, this psalm begins with a declaration in verse 1 that all the earth rejoices in God the King, but it ends with a command, rejoice in the Lord and give thanks. Friends, you have been saved from your sins, and you are being held safely in the hands of the God with all power who reigns over the earth. So you don't need to complain because God is in control. And since God is in control, we can live with joy. As we've seen, this psalm gives us more than enough reason to rejoice as we walk through life. We rejoice that God is in control because he is perfect in character and mighty in power. We rejoice that God is in control because he alone can satisfy. And we rejoice that God is in control because he saves and protects his people. And so I'll end this morning with the words of the Apostle Paul from Philippians 4. Words that he penned while he was in prison, no less. Chained up in a cell, the Apostle Paul said, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say, rejoice. Not rejoice unless there's a global pandemic. Not rejoice unless you don't like certain political decisions. Not rejoice unless your health is struggling or your bank account doesn't look like you want it to or you're just nervous about the future. Rejoice always because the perfect God who can satisfy and save you is the God who is in control of everything. And so in light of who God is and in light of what he's done for, the, for us, friends, is there any reason that we should not be rejoicing right now? Since God is in control, we can live with joy. Let's pray. Father, thank you for reminding us in this psalm of who you are, that you are our king, that you are majestic and you are powerful and you are perfect and beautiful in all of your ways, that you're exalted above all the earth, above all idols, and in you alone we find true joy and satisfaction. So God, forgive us for losing sight of who you are. Forgive us for being short-sighted and getting caught up in the things going on around us and getting caught up in uh, our emotions or, or feelings that we don't like. But God, raise our eyes, raise our gaze to be fixed 
on you so that we might be a people that are uniquely marked by joy. God, help us to, to trust in you even when life is hard, even when we don't like our circumstances, even when the future seems grim or just overwhelming, not knowing what's coming. God, help us to trust that you are good and you are for us and you are working all things according to your will for our good and for your glory. God, help us to rejoice in a world that is frustrated and confused and angry. I pray that our rejoicing would point people to the hope that is found in you. We pray these things and ask these things in the, the powerful and beautiful and majestic name of Jesus. Amen.